This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Components. Over 800 street fitments for handbars, bar mounts, clip-ons, brake pads, chains, and sprockets. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. We're here at the opening round of the year in Phillip Island, the media center. So there's a little bit of noise behind us as well, but uh, here on the Thursday... Paddock Pass Podcast Superbike team's gotten together and uh, Gordo, you're on as usual again this year? Yes, I'm never off obviously, um, but uh, yeah, back. glad to be back, uh, new season starting, too hot outside, perfect. We had Evo <laughs> Shoots back on the end of season roundup show and Evo, for some reason you've decided to come back to us again. Yeah, and it's not because you're paying me a lot of money. This is definitely not the case. Gordo will attest to that. But uh, today's show, obviously presented by Renthal. Check out Renthal.com and the Fit My Bike option to see all the parts for your motorbike. But on today's show, we've got season preview for World SBK. We're here 24 hours before the action really gets underway. But we've had one day of testing. We've had a crazy week. And uh, Evo, you've been on top of it all the way through, whether it was the Pirelli tyre situation, having to change the test schedule. Now we've just had it confirmed, we've got a flag-to-flag race for the Superbike and Supersport classes all weekend. Yeah, the, the guys keep us um, quite busy for the last couple of days. Um, to, today there was the, the announcement that we will have a flag-to-flag race and not everyone is agreeing to this because some riders are thinking 20 laps are no problem. Other riders, especially the BMW guys, said even on Sunday, so two days before the test, they said, nah, it will not be possible to do a race distance. So, okay, now the argument is security and safety. Mm, You cannot say much against this, but still, for me, quite strange. Yeah, once safety gets brought into it, it's very difficult to argue against it. But this is also one of those situations, Gordo, where even though we've had this situation here in the past, obviously 2018 we had the flag-to-flag race, and that was the Sunday they made that decision. This has been made on the Thursday after one day of testing on Tuesday in very hot conditions as well, it's worth saying, because the weather forecast for the weekend, 10 degrees cooler than it was during the test, very different conditions. Obviously the thermal temperature is still going to get very high just because of the load that's put through the tyres here, but... This was a decision made very early to to elect to have the flag to flags. Yeah, and there's lots of reasons why things are different this year. We've had a complete resurface here. The tarmac is very, very black, so therefore it holds the heat a lot more. And it's also very, very abrasive still. The more track use is done, the more rubber is stuck into all the little gaps, in the, the, the micro gaps in the, the tarmac, which then helps to make the track a bit easier on tyres. But the word easy is not used at Phillip Island for tyres. It is the most extreme track we have for wearing out tyres and overheating tyres all year. You have massive succession of left-hand, fast left-hand corners. So you're heating the tyre up with side grip, i.e. just grip to keep the bike on the track, while simultaneously, for a lot of those corners, accelerating and putting the power down, which is creating a lot of what they call drive grip. And that wants to basically tear the tyre off the rim, which generates friction, which generates heat. So every single thing is against us here. But we've had lots of races here where people have had to baby the tyres for 10, 15 laps and then go for the last six or seven. But there's a slightly different set of circumstances this year, which is why they've taken the decision so early. Yeah, the new asphalt, EO, makes a massive difference. But 
Gordo's mentioned in some of those races in the past where you had to manage things. 2020 was one of the best weekends we've really ever seen in World SBK for three great races here in Phillip Island. The championship started, everyone was full of excitement for the year ahead. And that was because riders had to manage the race all the way through. This is going to be just a straight-up blast and everyone's going to be elbows out at all opportunities. It's going to be hectic. I mean, if we if we are talking about safety and we have really a safety problem, this means exploding tires or tires falling apart, then I can understand. But on the other hand, um, for me, it's part of the job for the teams to give the riders um, a setup for the motorcycle to survive as long as possible. And it's it's a very easy way to say, okay, let's only let's cut the race five laps less, or let's do flag to flag with ten times. 10 laps for me this is not the correct way and okay on one hand side it's giving some more um, action for the spectators because uh, a pit stop is always great action but for me it's also quite big gambling because if you if you mess up the pit stop then you destroy your race and I, I think I agree with Evo the purist in me says okay you're all professionals do 22 laps. Set the bike up for 22 laps. We've seen people come through from 9th and 10th year to win races because they babied the tyres at the beginning and then were able to use them in the end. I'm sure Eugene, remember Eugene's amazing win on the Suzuki? He was nowhere and then came through because the, the basic setup was for full race, etc. One of the re, one of the many reasons other than just Eugene. So, yeah, the purest of me wants us to go for the races and let people sort themselves out. The problem is that even one major incident would be would spoil the opening weekend and obviously danger. It's a dangerous sport anyway, but maybe it would add to the danger. Who wants to be responsible for that? I think some people have just said, okay, if it's safer, we do it. And remember, the tyres didn't arrive until the morning of the test, most of them. You know, that's why we only did one day. So we're not exactly in a normal situation. We have got two days and two con different track conditions worth of data. We've got one crazy intense day to, to judge this on. And I think everybody knew after that one day of test we were going to have flag to flag. But it's five sprints now. Two consecutive and one on its own. We've got the five sprint races now. And don't forget for the five sprints we only have two extra sets of tyre. And uh, we just had a talk to Alvaro Bautista and he said, okay, it's fine to have these two sets for the two additional uh, sprints, let's say. But what's in the practice? Because if you're doing only 10 laps on every set of tire, um, then you need extra tires. But we don't have extra tires here. So I actually have no idea how Pirelli would like to solve this problem. Because if it's not safe to do, to have more than 10 laps in the race, then you cannot have more than 10 laps in a practice. Yeah, I did ask Pirelli this earlier on, and they were very vague in their answers. They hadn't really made a decision on anything yet, other than you'll have your extra tires for the race. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out on Friday. And the reason for that is, in the past 2018, it was such a last-minute decision that it was easy. You give everyone an extra set of tyres, and then you just move into the Sunday race. But what was probably a little bit interesting about it as well, Evo, we're here in Phillip Island. This is where we saw one of the best cat-and-mouse MotoGP races last year. Jorge Martin running off into the distance, looking like he's ready to win the race with a tyre gamble. And then in the last five corners, loses all that advantage, finishes off the podium, and is just limping home. It was, it was terrific entertainment. Obviously, like you said, Gordo, you can't have it where there's a risk of 
you know a serious injury or anything like that when you've got a controlled tire especially it's, more risk it's, it's, it becomes a point this is a risky sport motorsport is dangerous there's signs everywhere that tell you we all sign disclaimers to prove that motorsport is dangerous it's just what is an acceptable level of risk you know trackside barriers were a lot closer 30 years ago you know but now they're a lot further away and quite rightly so it's just I personally would say, okay, let's go 20 laps then. Let's cut two laps off for a bit of, bit of, if you want to take safety that way. But I totally understand why they've come to this conclusion. And it is the worst track in the year for tyres in one specific area. Yeah, I would, so, have been, I would have been happy with a 16 lap race like we'd seen in Supersport in the past and you've reduced it and then it's up to you to manage it. Because in the test, Evo, we saw and we talked to a lot of riders that went out and did long runs. Danilo Petrucci did a 20 lap run. Alvaro did one long run where he was, you know, 10, 11 laps in, still doing 129s. There was a lot of riders put in the work for that, were consistent, didn't have issues. But it did seem like a lot of this was driven by the issues the BMW riders had. But what was probably a surprise to me was it was in Supersport, where way more riders had big issues. There was a lot of riders suffering from blisters, flat tyres, different problems like that. Well, I think ultimately the, the, the main thing there was they were the first ones out on the absolutely new tarmac. And that is always going to... They were the first ones putting rubber down. By the end of the day, understanding the settings, but also the racetrack was in different condition by the end of the day. So by the time the Superbike guys got to it, it was better condition than it would have been for them first time. So I think a lot of the early problems in Supersport were to do with just the absolutely virgin track with really, really aggressive stones. Basically, the track's made up of tar and stones. That's what it's done. And the edge of those stones have to be a little bit polished off at a very, very small level. And the rubber has to fit in between the gaps between them. That is what then gives you a grippy track, but not one that prematurely wears out tyres. Let's move it on to what we actually saw on track as well this week. We've had... The day of testing, obviously we've also had winter testing in Hareth, Portimao in January, all the way back to November as well. So we kind of know the form card of what to expect for the season. But with the flag to flag, there is obviously a spanner thrown in the works. But Eva, when you look at what we've seen, the big standout performer, BMW and Top Rack, we've been able to see that they have made a big step in terms of their ultimate performance. Tire wear obviously has been an issue for them here this weekend. But ultimate performance, they've made a lot of progress and they've got themselves to the point where they're right at the sharp end with top rack. Not a surprise, obviously. For me, this is still a big, a big question if they make this big step. Because uh, when you look at the Super Pole record here from Tom Sykes, which is four years old on a BMW, and top rack was 0.7 faster than Tom at this time, and everyone is saying that the asphalt is minimum one second faster. So it shows for me that Toprak now is more or less on the level from Mr. Superpole Tom Sykes four years ago. And all the other BMW riders are far behind Toprak. So Scott Redding was eight with 0.8 second uh, gap. Um, I'm not sure if the BMW overall package is so much better than it was last year. I still think it is. I think that there was... A lot of red flags when riders went out to their qualifying simulations in the test. When you look at what we saw through the rest of the winter test, I thought there was a good step being made by, especially Vandermark. But last year in the winter, he was also the top BMW rider, started the season very strong. The tests, what we've seen a lot of is the BMWs going out together to try and set their fast times as well. That was something that 
in the January test really elevated everyone at the end of the day. So I do think that the Bonovo bike's still a little bit behind where they'd want to be in terms of their ultimate pace, but I did think that the two official bikes seemed like they were a lot closer. I think in terms of specifically this weekend, the BMW will gain compared to some of the other manufacturers because we're going to have two sprint races. I think the BMW was always going to do better in the sprint races than it was going to do in the two long races here because they still don't know. Toprak doesn't know about making the tyre last for that distance. It's a lot better to be able to make a tyre last for 10 laps than 20 or 22. So I think BMW may have a, I don't know if we can use the word artificial, but they don't have as much disadvantage as everybody's thinking they would have over two short races consecutively than one long race to make the tyre last that period of time. And the BMW is very powerful. So, you know, it, it could make more trouble for the tyre than a, a bike with less power or more gentle power. I do think this began with the 10-lap race, BMW coming out of that last corner with grip and their engine. Yeah. That's going to be a bike that's going to be a contender. But you're only allowed to do a maximum of 12 laps on one of the rear tyres. Therefore, for BMW, are they able to get that 9th, 10th, 11th lap out of the tyre? Yeah, what you are saying is the same story for all the Ducati and also the Honda. So they have all very let, powerful engines. Let's not go with the Honda in the same breath on what we've <laughs> seen so far this winter. That's another story. But no, no, you're, you're, you're right. It's, I think the good thing is now there's, there are three real powerful engines in this class and the other two bikes are really quite sorted. So it's a case of there's different ways of doing it. The Ducati is still the best bike when you get it right, but you do have to get it right. What I think has been quite noticeable is the performance and pace of the new guys who've jumped on Ducati are actually slightly outperforming the guys who've already been on it, you know, consistently or, or at least sometimes. So it shows the Ducati is, is still the beast to be there. And we haven't even mentioned the Bulliger word yet. We're this far into the podcast, we haven't even mentioned Bulliger. We saw, especially last season, we saw very often that the BMW riders have been on the same level. So everyone thought that this is the level of the bike. And then Toprak arrived and immediately he was a new benchmark. And I think he simply can extract more from the bike than the other guys. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you're looking at Toprak, the guy that we've all viewed over the last few years as being that reference rider in the class. He can do things that other riders struggle with or can't really adapt to and you would expect he's going to have that little bit more than anyone else I, I do think that just with how competitive the class is as well that's something that's probably going to be interesting to just view all the way through the season Phillip Island if you think back to this time last year there was a big gap between the BMWs it was only as the season kind of progressed that we saw Gerloff at the end of the season strong Scott riding in a couple of good rounds in the middle of the year we didn't really have it where one rider was the dominant rider all the way through the season. It sort of ebbed and flowed and it was only at the end of the season where we had Gerloff consistently in the top six. I think this year we've already got the answer to the question of who the lead BMW rider is. I think in the past we didn't really know who that lead BMW rider was and there was sometimes it was it was occasionally berating. Van der Mart was obviously injured a lot. You know, we've got Gerloff as well. It's a very... Um, it's a very strange uh, situation. And here's one that I've just turned up. The joys of doing this in the media centre. Michael Vandermark's just uh, popped in. And Mikey, we're talking about BMW and how the winter's gone. Obviously for you, the most important thing is you've actually been fit this winter. Yeah, it's been a nice winter for us. And uh, I think last 
December when we went testing, we were a bit unlucky with the weather. And after that, you know, in January we had some fantastic weather for testing. So it's been a positive winter for for the whole team. You know, we could do we could do everything we wanted to do, and uh, I think it's pretty clear we made some progress. How much better or how much different the BMW is now compared to when you first got on it? So how much better is the bike starting this year than it was when you first got on it? It's, diff- it's, it's difficult to say, but uh, almost day and night, I think. Really? The bike wasn't bad, uh, but it wasn't easy to ride. And now it's it's the biggest thing for me right now is that the bike is a lot easier to ride. Everywhere or in entering corners? Everybody kept talking about entering corners was your issue for, for all the BMW riders. Is this the big thing or is it everywhere? Well, the our biggest issue when I started to ride the M1000 was uh, braking zone and entry, yeah. Uh, but the bike got better in every in every aspect. But, um, you know, everyone's getting better as well. You know, all them bikes are getting better and better. So, yeah, we had to. What about with Top Rack as well then, Mikey? Because obviously you were teammates back in 2020. How is he different now compared to whenever he joined Yamaha? Oh, he still doesn't give a, a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's quite similar. I think the thing with Toprak is just enjoying riding a bike. Uh, any bike you give him, he plays with it. And I think also for us, it was quite good to see when he jumped on the bike. He, he didn't have any real negative thing. You know, we saw it. He showed straight away that we... Uh, the last few years, we worked really hard to get the bike better, and unfortunately, I got injured, so I didn't ride a lot. But you know, especially last year, so last couple of races, the bike was up in front more and more. So uh, it was nice to see him on the bike and honestly enjoy it straight away. And then, Mikey, as well, we were just talking about the flag to flag for this weekend. How was the test for you in that regard? Honestly, we could do a long race distance, but it, it wouldn't be racing. Uh, we had to go that slow. Uh, I did, uh, I think, 20, 22 laps on, on, my, on the set of tires, but I didn't even sweat. You know, I was just cruising around, and uh, it's not, it's not racing. So, to keep the entertainment high, it's it's better to have a flag to flag where everyone can push for, well, the yeah, maximum of 11 laps. And then, Mikey, just before we let you get back to everything else, who's going to win the championship this year? Who's going to win it? Who's going to win it? It's a strong field, but. You know, I think BMW have was, have one goal, and that's to to win the chem- championship. And uh, I'm gonna try it for sure. But we have some strong teammates as well. That's the the good thing about sitting in the media center while we record this. Obviously, yeah. usually we get to do these at the end of a weekend. But uh, good to have Mikey on there as well. And let's move it on to Gordo. You mentioned Bulga, so let's talk about Ducati. Obviously, the clear favorites coming into this year, given what we've seen in the last few years, Alvaro Bautista and Ducati. But the biggest surprise all the way through the winter, Bulaga's pace. Yeah, I, I think for everybody, um, it's okay to be fast at one track at one time, but he's been fast everywhere. And that's quite amazing. And the sources inside the team I speak to still say that he rides, he's still riding a bit super sporty. So there might even be more to come for that guy once he really learns to ride it like a superbike. So that could be very interesting to see how he develops through the year. Um, the most important thing for me is he's he does demonstrate decent race pace. His, his race pace has been quite good when you look at what he can do. But in real races for 20 laps everywhere, 
the most important thing in the Superbike is how you manage the overall package in the tyres. Now, that team should be in a better position than anybody to be able to do that. Bulliga won 16 races last year or something in Supersport. Clearly the best rider there on the best package. He's on the best package this year again. Um, can he do it for the races, for the full race duration? You've got to imagine, given the season he had last year, if he can bring even half of that, transfer half of that confidence and ability to do a racecraft for 20 laps, then there's no reason why that guy can't be right in the, fighting for the podiums of the first races. I would be surprised if he disappears off, if Bautista is fit, as he says he is. Bautista's not tested particularly well. He's been injured all winter. He now says he's more or less back to normal. And we'll find out here because we've seen uh, Alvaro do some quite amazing results here and, and at the end of the race still have a good tyre. Now, is it going to hurt him to have two short races? Probably. Because then his ability to manage tyres for a full race duration is lessened because everybody else can do it now. You know, everybody can race 10 laps. Bulliga can race two 10 laps. So maybe this is a great start for Bulliga because he's going to have two short races to show his full pace. So it's it's a weird round. Normally this is a great arbiter of how can somebody race for a full race time. Now that's all changed with the decision of having two and two and one race. That's Everything's changed now for Bulliga. I, th- I think Bulliga was, I mean... As you mentioned, Gordo, he was super successful last year, but a lot of people said, yeah, but he was in the best team on the best bike, and this is the main reason why he was so successful. And because he was winning races so clear, I think a lot of people underestimated him. And now we can see that he's a class rider, a super class rider. Yeah, I think for me, I definitely fall into that category because... I've been really surprised by what he's done all the way through the winter tests. Obviously, it's different once we get into the race weekend. Then we get a, a, the first time everyone has to put their chips on the table and see what see what way it's going to fall. But the whole way through the winter, he's been impressive. And I think one of the things that probably for me was a factor was you were so far removed from whenever he was in Moto Three and you know came in as a junior world champion, had a pole I think in his fourth or fifth Grand Prix, a podium then as well. And then the second season, the wheels kind of fell off the wagon for him. And then you go from the VR46 team and you start falling down the grid and it gets harder and harder. And sometimes riders just, it's a struggle for them to be able to make the adaptation between a Moto3 bike and a Moto2 bike. And you can get lost a little bit because it's a class that's so ultra competitive, Evo. And he, he also explained to me one time that for him, the most important thing in his career was the people around him. And he was in the GP paddock, he was not happy because he said the people around him haven't been the correct people. And when he jumped to the Aruba team, he said immediately everything was correct. And we all know 80% in racing um, is coming from the mind. So if the mindset is correct, this helps a lot. And if, if you then have a super good team like Aruba and a very fast bike like the Ducati, then this is the result what we are seeing now. And I think um, it's going to be really key for Ducati as well that after so long with Rinaldi as the number two, now they have Bulaga in, it does look like there's a step forward there. I always thought Rinaldi was a good number two. In the day, Ducati were able to win their championships with Bautista, they won the Manufacturers Championship. He finished top five in the world each year. He's a good number two. But it looks like for Bulaga, stepping in now, he's done something that we never saw from Rinaldi in the course of the winters. Yeah, and I think ultimately we all looked at it, Bulliga getting that ride as a reward 
for winning it. And the irony is that the other two guys, Ronaldo and Bassani, were beating the life out of each other last year to get the factory ride, and neither of them got it. And some people are saying, well, you know, it's a shame because one of them should have either stayed or got that factory ride, and Bulgaria's only getting the ride as a reward. Well, right, we'll see what happens when the racing starts, but right now, Bulgaria looks like the best choice out of all of those guys. You know, I mean, really, he's, he, I don't think even if Bassani had gone to the factory team, he'd have done quite the same level you'd have taken a bit of time to get used to a new bunch of people it's strange isn't it is that that to me is the most remarkable thing the two hot favorites for that ride didn't get it at one stage of the season then when it was obvious it was going to be Bulliga, people thought well fine they've still got batista Bulliga will take a year to learn and that might be the case no races have happened yet but look at his pace you can't imagine that guy's not going to be in the top five every weekend almost anywhere you know i mean there would be they'd have to do a major setup fault for that guy not to be there yeah, I think top five in one race every weekend for sure. Top five all the way is going to be tough for him because yeah, yeah. it's such a competitive field. But yes. he's he's made it now where there's a real conversation to be had about him as well, which is good. Andrea Locatelli, we're obviously, same as with Vandermark earlier on, we're in the chance to grab some riders as they get their photos done. But we were just talking about Nicola Budica coming in and his career arc, very similar to yours. Yeah. Moto2, Supersport, win the championship, come to Superbike. Yeah. How difficult is it to make those transitions? Yeah, honestly, honestly, it's not easy to to understand and to know the the, the story the story about uh, each rider. But for sure, it uh, looks similar about my my story. But in the end, uh, what I can say on the MotoGP paddock was difficult to to stay, and uh, it's difficult sometimes to work, and in the same time. Uh, looks maybe it's not it's not nice to say but looks sometimes a little bit more political then so yeah it was not easy in the end honestly I forget a lot about that and uh, I'm focused only on the World Super by now but uh, what I can say that uh, for me the World Super Sport is uh, a fucking good class for the rider for the young rider uh, because in the end uh, is something good uh, for the sport and uh, it's something good because in the end we're riding really fast from the 600 so this is for sure an, a good school to then uh, do the the do the, um, the change like me and to come on the world super bike so properly in the end uh, the, because the base setup of uh, the bike and the base of the weight of the bike looks similar uh, just the power changing a little bit so uh, immediately when I tried the first time the World Superbike, I feel immediately comfortable on the bike and was not so difficult to ride. Yeah, for sure, uh, to make a long distance and to make a long race is completely different, especially for uh, the, the consumption of the, of the tire. But in the same, in the same time, uh, I think uh, I learned a lot during the, the 600 category. So this for me was uh, for sure and a good uh, teach then to do, to to make another improvement about myself. In the same time, I win the championship. So when you win the championship, you change a bit the mentality. So this is what, uh, what for me, is something special to to go on the World Superbike and uh, to be to be clear that I can be a, a really good rider. Can you change the mentality again? Now, this is your fourth year. This is where, particularly here in Phillip Island, your best track always been somewhere, all the classes, you've always had a lot of success. And now you have to make that change from... I want to be top six, I want to be top five, I want to be podium to now in year four, you want to win. 
yeah, honestly, yeah, this is the target now. I think in the end, uh, I will, I, I want to continue uh, to work with Yamaha for this reason also because we have a clear, a clear uh, focus, everyone, and uh, I think uh, for me it was the best option to try to continue to believe in myself, to building uh, every day something, and now I think I have the confidence, I have the, um, the experience to win a race, I think. So, yeah, let's see what we can do, especially from here, from uh, Philip Island, because for sure for me it's something special. But, uh, yeah, in the same time, uh, I think uh, I'm learning a lot during this year. Uh, in the past, uh, I make some mistakes, and now I want to try to be a little more... Uh, um, uh, a bit more um, constant and uh, always try to make a podium because this is important for the championship. And honestly, I think it uh, can be a, a good year this year and uh, I would like to try to finish uh, on the top three. One last thing before you go, Laka, as well. End of the season, who is the world champion? I would like to see my name. <laughs> Everyone but would we, like to see their name. Yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> but when you look at we never know because there is... The, se- the 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 season is is long, and uh, we need to understand what happened during the season. But honestly, uh, the, the is maybe it's the time. So I want I want to try to pushing in the maximum, and then we see what we can keep. But uh, yeah, I would like to see my name again on the top. Yeah, thanks, Laka. Thank Good you. luck for the year. Great to have Laka on the pod, and uh, let's move it on to talk with his teammate and. Uh, you know what? The first times you saw the 65 in blue, it was a little bit, a bit of a head wreck. But now we're used to it. But what we weren't used to, Gordo, down the timesheets in the test and a big crash. Uh, yeah, it's back to the days when the Honda wasn't very good, and he was. Uh, I remember him leaving here once after multiple crashes when he was a Honda rider, um, and just he literally said to me, "I just want to go home," because he had so many falls and it was so difficult and so on. But that was a eons ago compared to what Jonathan has done since then um, a big change he says the Yamaha is a bit different from a Kawasaki but not as much as you might imagine in some regards but it is different um, and yeah this is not an easy transition for Jonathan even with all the things that he, he's done in his career I don't think he's moved on to a particularly faster motorcycle he's just moved on to a different motorcycle with a different motivation and a freshness and just as he said, he feels a few years younger now. You know, he's, he's, he's back to Hungary again. He's got something new to deal with. And he thought, obviously, he'd exhausted all the possible options at Kawasaki. It's just looked a bit difficult so far. Not hard, just difficult. If that makes sense, sorry. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. But Evo, this is Phillip Island, a track where obviously Johnny's won a lot of races here in the past. But this isn't a track that naturally suits his style. There's only really turn four that's the in and out brake and get the bike up and get out everything else is carrying that corner speed that's never always been the way that he's wanted to ride bikes so this isn't the perfect place to make your debut particularly when you've got Locke that has been so successful here was faster than top rack here last year this is probably one of those places where if you could pick where to have your debut for Jonathan on the Yamaha you'd probably look Assen or somewhere else I think that even on a on a bad track for Jonathan He's, he's outstanding. I mean, uh, we saw it so often that even after a, after a bad day of practicing on a Friday, for example, that they could change everything massively for Saturday. But the big difference is he was working so long with his crew chief 
and they they knew the Kawasaki inside out. And whenever they had a problem, um, Pereriba had uh, normally an idea in mind how to change. Now everything is new for Jonathan. So when he's facing a problem, maybe he has not always the correct solution for it. And I think this is what we saw in the test on, on Tuesday. Yeah, big crash in the test on Tuesday up at turn 11, high side, bike hit him, battered, bruised, still able to get it in the afternoon again. But that was a big reminder for him of the challenge he's going to face. And Gordo, one of the things that's probably interesting when you look at riders when they change bikes, even you mentioned there about the experience you have with the crew chief and the Kawasaki and how that develops over time for Yamaha. Andrew Pish might well look at it that we found a good base at one point and let's make big changes to the bike to go one direction, see how it affects the bike for Ray while you try and learn your rider. So you can easily have it where one day is lost chasing your tail, but you're able to rule out that change to the bike for the future. But you have to do all those things in very limited testing time now, Gordo. Yeah, you do. Um, and I think the, the most important thing, if I was them, would just to get Johnny used to the Yamaha And then I really understand how it meshes before you make any of those changes. If I was them, you know, Andrew Pitt knows more about it than I'll ever know. But that, to me, I would just be getting Johnny happy on the Yamaha and then letting Johnny do Johnny things. Because quite often on Kawasaki, that's all they had to do. They couldn't find a perfect setup. They couldn't find this. But they'd find someone good enough for Johnny to then make a difference. Um, the, pro the difference now is ultimately there's more riders that are capable of reaching the level of Johnny. At one stage in this championship, there was him and no one else quite good enough, close enough. Now there's at least two others, and some new people. So he's now not on something familiar. He's on something for him new, but which is also a, reaching the edge of its racing life. I've just heard that they're not going to be making that road bike soon. Anyway, so it's not you know, that bike hasn't had a massive revamp in a long time. So my opinion is that Johnny is leaving one bike for a similar performance bike in a different way, And now it's just a case of letting Johnny get comfy on that and then see if they can find any advantages. They could change all they like, but they might not necessarily find advantages. So they need to learn each other properly and then start making changes. Evo, when you look at what we've got left to talk about, we've still got Kawasaki, Honda, the independent riders. When you're writing your stories for Speed Week, so the independent riders are going to be right up at the top of your list this year. Yeah, I mean, the, the most famous one of the independent riders, new one, the greatest, Andrea Iannone, coming from MotoGP. Um, I think he won just one GP race, 13th Grand Prix, but only one MotoGP race. But for whatever reason, he is still quite famous. And I think the, re the reason for this is because he's a character. And uh, I remember Andrea in, in his GP times when he was quite a... Not easy to handle. Prickly. Character. Yeah, you said this. <laughs> And after the after the four-year break he had in racing, now we see a quite different character. So far, he was very friendly, very polite, and by the way, very fast. Yeah, because it is one of those things, even when it's taken away from you, you realize how important it is to you. When you've been a factory rider... You take things for granted. And he was a factory Ducati, Aprilia, Suzuki rider. So we know he's got the talent. We know he's got the speed. We saw it in 125s and Moto2 as well. But now you suddenly have it where he really has to start from fresh. And it's it's really exciting to see him have to do that. Yeah, I mean, Andrea was also enjoying being famous. You know, the girlfriend is famous. He was famous. Hey... 
he earned a lot of respect from the people and uh, clearly he was enjoying this and now he's in a privateer Ducati team in World Superbike and he knows that this is probably the last chance of his life Gordo yeah I mean there's nothing worse for a rider than to, to have a premature end to your career whatever the cause is his was another you know you could say self-inflicted problem but ultimately when you are given a second chance that's the best possible chance or a last chance and when you look at even rider look at Jonathan Part of the reason Jonathan was so successful in Kawasaki is because he had so many years in Honda where he could win races and only one season it looked like he might challenge and then, of course, because the bike wasn't quite good enough and the package and everything else, he couldn't. So it was like joining Kawasaki was like oh, a chance to win an A-World Championship and he rode that wave so hard and so long he won six. And you look at, uh, the, for example, Loka earlier, you know, he was in MotoGP classes and then he was out. And he gets a second chance here and he grabs it with both hands and he's already a world champion in super sport. And exactly the same thing in Bulliger. We've already touched on that earlier. When a rider thinks that maybe it's all over and then he gets a genuine second chance, you watch them go. They have even more fire and desire and, and experience to then know how to use that. So I think that's what we're going to see with Ian Oni this year. We know he's going to be fast. He's probably faster than we ever thought he was going to be this early on a superbike, especially after four years away, for goodness sake. You know, I mean, not really racing any bike at all. And look at what he's done already. So he's very experienced rider. Let's not forget that. I think key, key for him will be how he's handling the, let's say, bad situations. When I'm talking to my friends in the Go11 team, they say as long as he's enjoying and fast and everything is working how he would like to have it, then he's super friendly, he's relaxed, he's enjoying. But if it's going in the wrong direction, then we see a different face. And this is, uh, he, need, he needs to handle this also because he will not be top three in every session, in every Super Bowl, in every race. So he will have also bad weekends. And if he can sort it out, then we will see a very strong Iannone this season. This is a true test of a rider's character when things don't go well. It's how you bounce back from it, it's how you endure it, it's how you turn it round. You know, many crew chiefs have said to me, look, at the end of the day, the rider is the leader inside any team because the, the crew can have everything for them, they, they can try every possibility. If the rider's head, heart, ability isn't all lined up in the same direction, then it doesn't matter how well we do as a team, as a manufacturer, anything. The rider is the leader of the team. If he can control himself, as Evo says, in the times when things aren't going quite as well, well, anybody who's won a MotoGP race and been a factory rider should be able to come to World Superbike and be a force. I've said this till I'm blue in the face. You know, there is no reason why any decent MotoGP rider can't come here and win races minimum. Because the training is there is more is superior. The, 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 there's more competition at a younger age in MotoGP if you come through the MotoGP ranks. And, but there's not enough spaces from Moto3 to Moto2 to MotoGP for all the riders they produce. So we've had a big overflow of riders from there to here, and almost all of them have been successful, at least in Moto2, and some of them up to Moto, Moto, uh, sorry, in World Supersport from Moto2, and some of them into World Superbike. Okay, Locatelli hasn't quite won a race yet, but he's also racing against three aliens of World Superbike. So, but he's the best rider of the rest after the three aliens is Locatelli. And he's not from here. He's from there. When you look at Ian on it, 
I think this is going to be a year where obviously he's going to be really strong in a lot of places. Philip Island track, he's always gone very well at, in his Grand Prix career, placing those inside out. Then we go to Catalonia, Assen, tracks that he knows, Mizano, obviously. He's, he still does a lot of riding. Over the course of his four-year ban, he was still able to go to track days and did a lot of time on track at Mizano. If he could hand-pick the start of the season, that would be it. Because once we get to later in the year when you've got Most or Donington or Hungary, Cremona, places like this, it's going to be very different for him. But he's got the chance to really hit the ground running. Yeah, I mean, how many Italian riders have raced at Cremona? And are at this level in this paddock? Any? Maybe? None? Some of them? Maybe. Um, so there's lots of new there's lots of new stuff this year. Um, assuming the year goes off as we sh- we're, we're planned, it's still all these things are still to be confirmed, etc. Because they need to make changes. So there's going to be a lot of changes. But as you say, exactly for any experienced rider, MotoGP or Superbike, the, the start of this season is is pretty good because you're all known quantities. Let's move it on to some of the other independents and. Uh You'd have to say, well, Rinaldi's an interesting one. Going from the Aruba team to the Motocorsa team, we saw Motocorsa obviously with Bassani able to get some really good results, but there were always a team as well that struggled at the start of a season. Regularly, there was new faces in the pit box. It took time to really settle in. Rinaldi coming from the full factory Aruba team, that's going to be something that he's really going to have to adapt to. I mean, he needs to adapt because if you if you lose your place in the Ducati factory team, normally no one else is giving you a chance. If you go from this factory team to a privateer team, I mean, he needs to show something outstanding on this Motocorsa bike that maybe he can jump on the Honda next year, just for example. And um, Rinaldi, he has the speed, he has the ability, but... Also, he needs to show it. And in the past, uh, I mean, Michael is a super nice lad. He's speaking very open um, to us all the time. And he explained us why why it was so difficult for him. And the problem was not the bike or the team. The problem was himself. And if he can sort out his mental condition, let's say, then he can also be very successful in the Motocorsa team. Yeah, he's the ultimate rider that needs to feel everything's happy around him. When he, he joined Barney, Everybody thought, oh, there you go, that's a great thing. And he hated it. He just had a terrible time. And then when he went to Go 11, which was not rated as highly as the Barney team was at that time, he won three races. You know, I mean, it just shows you, we touched on this with Ian Oney, some riders, as we say, need a hug. They need to feel loved and wanted and warm all the time. And then they can give their best. And some riders don't care. It's all just a business to them. They get on with it and so on. Um, It's better to be that way than needing a hug all the time. Because then you can handle with the situation. But if Michael finds himself in a happy situation and a good bike, and all the Ducatis should be good bikes this year, um, then there's no reason why you can't go and make it. But as Ibo said, it's up to him. It's how he, it's how he is, how he uh, goes through the difficult periods. I think one of the things as well, starting here in Phillip Island, this is where last year, obviously, the opening race of the year in the wet conditions was a disaster for him. But Sunday, finished second to Alvaro in both races. This is a good track for Michael. This is where he'll feel that he's got half a chance of being able to get good results. And even if he's able to not come away with podiums, but top sixes in all the races, it starts the season well. And Evo, last year we saw just how good the Ducati package was around here. We had Go 11 with Ertl up there in the front group. We obviously had the Aruba bikes. We had a lot of Ducatis able to get good performances here last year. So this is a good place for Rinaldi to start as an independent rider. 
And it looks it looks like this year that all the independent teams from Ducati are even stronger than last year. And uh, I mean, Iannone looks stronger than Oettel. And as you mentioned, Oettel was fifth here last year in the race. Um, with the Mark VDS team, we have another very strong uh, Ducati team. Sam Laus, obviously a very good rider. I think 25 podiums in, in GP racing. So they're... In theory, there is absolutely no reason for any Ducati rider to don't have success here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's the bike to be on. Ducati have uh, have moved things on for their supply teams as well as themselves. Okay, the rule book says that everybody has to have the same bikes, more or less. You can buy the same parts as a factory team for very limited funds, etc. But a factory team is always going to have better engineers, better uh, resources, they they decide the direction of development, not the privateer teams or the independent teams, as we now call them. So, yeah, there is no reason why you can't be a successful Ducati in any of those Ducati setups this year. Yeah. The Ducati, the bike to be on, let's talk about the bike no one wants to be on right now, the Honda, because this was another really tough winter for them. This is another winter where we always have hope, but it's hope rather than expectation that they're turning things around. And until they do, Evo, we have to just keep that that bit of doubt about them and they haven't shown that they've made that progress just this morning i released a story on on speedweek about the honda history from 22 uh, from 2002 until today like a massive story cost me half a day of work the the thing is that since 2017 they did not do very much in a correct way and then in 2000, they introduced the first Fireblade Triple R. This year we have the new bike. And if you look at all the winter testing, there was zero step forward, zero. And if you talk to the riders, I mean, a rider always would like to see it optimistic and he sees light at the end of the tunnel. But realistically, Xavi Vierge lost 1.5 seconds on normal race tires in the test on Tuesday. And... For me, it's hard to imagine that they make uh, such a big step during the race weekend to fight for top six, let's say. Um, I understand what HRC is in this championship. I'm so old that I was around when they came back the first time in 94. I was working for magazines, but I went to the launch of the, the, the HRC squad when they still had RC45s. I was here to see Colin Edwards and the Honda beat Ducati at their own game with V-Twin. Uh, and they were so open in those days I got to go round the whole bike the first weekend it was ever here for a test in the winter and the large project leader who then went on to become the boss of HRC walked round it pointing at it and telling me what all the bits were and the special things and so on and 20 years on they turn up, it's very secretive they don't want to talk about anything when they first brought the Fireblade out I had a long interview with the, the boss of the whole project um, at this racetrack just before the first round and they were guarded and so on in four years, I think it is since then, the progress has been, uh, we can say, negative. Um, I, it's, I'm really struggling to find something positive to say about the whole Honda project, the approach to it, the decisions they've made, the technology they've brought. I would love, love to see Honda winning here, not because I'm a Honda guy or anything like that. The opposite, I don't care who wins. But HRC have been here for a long time and not won a race. They have to start 
turning that around. A few podiums, a smattering of podiums the whole time. Someone like Bautista and Haslam couldn't get the bike to win. They brought in two younger riders. They've stayed with them for this year. And the the thing that gets me is that very few people in the paddock are thinking anything is a problem with the riders. They are thinking it's still a problem with the technology, the setup, the bike they bring, what they've done to it, how they approach the setup. They've changed personnel from last year, from team manager, crew chief. And it doesn't seem, nothing at this moment in time seems to have been an improvement, even with a brand new re-homologated, re-engineered motorcycle. We're waiting now since 10 years for a Honda win in the dry. So the last one who won on Honda was Jonathan Ray in Portimao 2014. And the last Honda win was Nicky Hayden in the rain in Sepang in 2016. So, I mean, we're talking about ages in racing. And when I... When I look at the Honda project in World Superbike, sometimes I think this here is like a, like a testing team for the Suzuka Eidauer. Because if, a, if, if the biggest motorcycle manufacturer in the world thinks that he wants to win in World Superbike, I would imagine that they are able to build a bike which is good enough to win in this class. And additionally, we have all these rules with concession parts and super concession parts who give big chances to the manufacturer to make the standard bike better. But in Honda, whatever they receive in the end, I mean, we saw five, th five third places since the year 2000, uh, 2020, sorry. Yeah, and that is, and we know things have never been harder and we know they've got three alien riders and the Kawasaki was a very strong bike. Um, the Ducati has become something different. But the Honda, in theory, the engine of the Honda should be the same match as the Ducati. No one complains about the power of the Honda. Maybe the delivery of the Honda and the direction they go to control the power. But there's absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever in the makeup of that bike that says that it's, it's under-resourced. It's, it's not had the chance to be, to be able to beat other bikes in a fair fight. It's got a very fast engine. That, so that is the big issue that we've got here. Whoa, 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 Gordo. We've had everyone else join us. Hi, guys. How are you? Well, How's it going? Well, how are you, Top Rack? The outside is unbelievable hot. I understand why you guys uh, stay here. And I'm excited. We are starting tomorrow. And we will see. It looks like a flag to flag now. And this is good for all riders. I think more safe. Yeah. What do you think of it, though, after the test for the BMW? Was it an issue for you with the tire? Or? Well, I'm very surprised, especially here, because uh, before they come Australia, I'm scared a lot because the last year I'm not uh, really fast this track because this is not my style. And with BMW, we are start really strong, but maybe, you know, new, new tarmac and I think more grip and bike working. And maybe, you know, I'm riding better than Yamaha, I don't know. I'm not possible to say anything now, but uh, the feeling now really good. And okay, we are not uh, still 100% ready, but uh, we are close. Every every day we are uh, getting better because I'm understand the bike and uh, and learning the bike style. But now it's getting better. I tell you what, Toprak, we got Johnny as well. So just before you have to go to do your pictures, Johnny, when you look at top rack it's obviously a similar situation to you changing teams both of you have a big challenge this year but this is what everyone's been interested in yeah it's cool you know it's cool to i don't know what he said but it's cool to 
to breathe some different air. You know, it's everything's new. Feel feels different. Feels feel a bit younger to be honest. You know, it's uh, even this stage, learning different things, learning how to ride in a different way. You know, the Yamaha is an, an incredible bike, but needs to be ridden in a different way to what I was used to. So even I'm learning things about my style that I need to improve. I've got a fast teammate as well next door, so I'm still learning things how I can improve. So it's really cool. Are you two still planning on your Saturday dinner in uh, the neutral ground of uh, a hospitality? That was my plan. I'm just thinking the race, not the dinner, but uh, maybe I follow Johnny because he's really strong here and also the flag to flag he's more experienced than me. <laughs> when I see him enter the pit lane, I immediately follow him. Maybe in the race uh, we make it like this, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that uh, Manuel Pochetti has some pretty initial ground, so I'm sure we'll still do some dinners together this season. Um, but yeah, it's cool. You know, it's a good story. You know, Top right did a, you know, a big move also for me as well, I guess. There's been a lot of hype about it over the winter, but we're here now, race one, and get to go, and it's, uh, yeah, I think it's exciting for everyone. Do you think it will be the same big three? I don't know if it'll be the same guys every week. I don't know. I hope not. You know, it's like, you've seen the transition MotoGP had in the last years. You, you, can, be, you can win a race, but you can also be fifth or sixth, and I think this season could be more like that. I don't think you're going to have the same dominance as previous years, but maybe I'm wrong. We need to see. You know, everyone's full of optimism now in February, but when you get to May, June, it's everyone finds their place, and you know I hope to be part of that. I, I, it could be a big five, you know, but I hope to be part. I hope to be part of it. I'm sure he will, and you know, there's there's five or six riders that can state their claim to be there. Um, that's what's cool about this time of year. Yep, everyone's full of optimism. You guys have actually got somewhere to go. So thanks for jumping in with us and okay. good luck for the yeah, season. See you, see you later. There's a few pleasant surprises there, Steve. And, and, uh, we've obviously chosen exactly the box seat to be in to get to talk to everybody. The oh, random room that we often. chose with no air conditioning has actually worked and out pretty PA well. And the PA having to be switched off and all that has actually proved to be the most ideal venue we could possibly have for a podcast. You do this every week. And very positive is we don't need to pay the riders to speak to us. did mention, we're going to ask you who you think is going to be world champion at the end of the year. I'll put my, I'll put my cards on the table first, Steve. Alvaro obviously starts your clear favourite. There's real changes that, in theory, should work against him, but in reality probably won't. He's the man to beat with the package he has until he is beaten. A little bit like what we saw with Johnny in the past on the Kawasaki Let's wait and see how the season plays out. But as long as we have lots of different winners, lots of guys battling at the front, and I think we should have that, I think it'll be a great year. I mean, we ask all the riders now who will become world champion. Unfortunately, I cannot say me. Um, I have it with you. I go with Alvaro. I mean, for me, the only, the only difference to last year is that he needs to carry some additional weight plus minus five kilos or something um, to put on his bike. Um, maybe he's not fully fit for the first race weekend here. Maybe. Maybe he surprises us highly. But overall of the season, for me, Alvaro. When you look at the evidence, I could speak for a long time here, but I won't. That'll be the first time, Gordo. <laughs> <laughs> True. 
That's very true. I'm trying to give away good money's worth, Steve. What can I tell you? Um, over the year, every race, the package everybody has, everything else, you experience all the things you still have to say, Alvaro, there's no other logical choice when you do the full analysis like we're supposed to do. That's part of our job. Um, you have to say Alvaro. But the one thing I'd put in now is that Alvaro has won two World Championships. He was injured in the winter. He's not had great preparation this year. There have been some changes to his bike, a little bit of weight. He's probably the only rider that's actually going to carry anyway, as far as I can see. I haven't, we haven't been through the process yet. They will determine that soon. Um, and then we'll see if anybody else at all has to carry anyway. It might only be him. But even then, he's he's been so consistent for so long at such a high pace. The only thing is his desire... If he shows anything less than 99.99999% of the desire as the last two years, he'll get done because there's too many other good good riders there. But I think his rivals are going to find difficult parts of the season. I think Alvaro, a difficult race for Alvaro will be in the podium. And I think the difficult race for maybe top rack in the BMW, even top rack in the BMW or even Jonathan on the Yamaha could be 5th, 6th or 7th. Just because of a lack of familiarity. You know, Alvaro's only change this year is a few kilos more in the bike. That's nothing. He's got 500 revs back again, as of all the other Ducati riders. I would take 500 revs over 5 kilos in a blink. That bike needs the 500 revs to be the bike it is. So I think they've actually given an advantage to Ducati this year, including Alvaro, even though he loses 5Ks. As I say, I could talk a lot longer, but I think when you look at all that, Alvaro is going to be the person to beat. But I don't think there's a standout it's got to be Alvaro this year. I just think on balance, something weird would have to happen for it not to be him again. Yeah, that's fair enough. And that brings us to the end of this pretty packed, actually, preview. We were only expecting it to be a half an hour. Obviously, when uh, Gordo speaks concisely, Evo, you know, it adds up a Never lot more happens. than that. Um, but Evo, where can everyone read all of your news and features from the weekend? Now, if you are if you are really interested in World Superbike, um, Speedweek.com is uh, releasing all the news. Um, we are covering World Superbike now like no one else, I would say. So this means I need to work a little bit here, and I will do. And I hope you enjoy my stories. And Gordo, obviously, everyone's able to read your stuff from the Paddock Pass Podcast Magazine Season Preview. Yes, wonderful. What a production! Together. What a production, Steve. Uh, yeah, in the last minute, and I tell you what, you did a really good job pulling all that together, Steve. That did really well. A, a, a pure joy to write because it's feature-led, that's what I'll enjoy. But my regular clients are uh, Cycle News in America, Australian Motorcycle News, um, various other people for times. Wins Evo occasionally isn't here, which doesn't happen very often. I do stuff for Evo as well, um, and Speedweek.com. Um, and I, yeah, I've got other freelance clients and so on, but uh, um, those are my main regular weekend report. Uh, things to, to look out for um, and obviously the pod and, and I do some columns for Moto Matters and things as well so yeah it's uh, that, that's, that's my gig again for 2024 patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast is where you can get the magazine digital mag everyone's able to see it and Gordo I really liked your Ducati piece in that yeah, it's been on, on the go for a while, that Ducati thing, because as we touched on earlier, Ducati are now the dominant force in almost all forms of racing. Um, and that's been a deliberate policy. It's been 20 years in the making, but and they've had highs and lows along the way. But now, Ducati, you look at Ducati as dug in with really serious ordinance in every championship that it's imagined to look at. They even do Moto E now, and they're even building motocross bikes. I mean, you know, Ducati Corsa has... has achieved all the ambitions that they, they wanted to 
and some because we never expected that kind of thing on a motocross bike who thought Ducati were going to do motocross bikes now they're doing that so yeah that was a touch on all that stuff how it came about what was done and how they did it and yeah they had a remarkable year last year so it's a long time in the making that story I was originally going to do it last year but I think it's even more underlined of how dominant Ducati are um, and they've gone they've also gone back the way whereby people are paying them for the motorbikes now so their overall cost is slightly reduced because they've got so many people running their bikes now who are paying them for parts and so on that's the way things used to be in world superbike they've now expanded that into MotoGP and other things and you can find it all about it in that story on the, your new magazine steve yeah lots more in that mag as well but uh Gordo's stuff is really worth reading. There's the season preview where he looks at the regulation changes as well is a, a really good feature as well, Gordo. Yeah, and it wasn't... But I didn't have enough space to go over all the rules. That, there was so many rule changes it was impossible to, to, to cover absolutely everything. And not to uh, plug Gordo too much, but on Patreon we also have Gordon's memories as well. 25 years and lots of different stories that you have. So keep your keep your eyes on the Patreon channel for that. And we'll obviously be back after this week to give us the review of the Phillip Island opening round of the year. But we'll be able to see just how wrong we were with anything that we've said <laughs> already. And uh, we'll be back with that next week. Obviously, MotoGP, we've got the Qatar test. So the review of the Qatar test is already up. And then we just have to get ready for the opening round of the year in MotoGP as well. So David, Adam and Neil are going to be flat out getting everything ready for that. But Evo, great to have you back on the pod. And we're going to have you quite a bit through the course of the year. Yeah, thanks a lot, Steve. Uh, was a pleasure like always. And as Arnold Schwarzenegger said, I'll be back. Well, you hope to be anyway. Uh, joke, <laughs> jokes like that, you won't. Uh, Gordo. If we're spared. <laughs> Gordo, we'll have you back as well next week. So thanks for joining us on the pod. And as ever, a big thanks to Rental Street, Fly Racing, and everyone else that supports the podcast on Patreon as well. episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by david emmett steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler music is provided by the libertines all inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com